to the Humanity Church Podcast, a place where meaningful conversations around living by faith, being known by love, and becoming a voice of hope are shared with the world every week. We hope that you enjoy this podcast and will join us live on Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, online or at the historic Fox Theater in beautiful downtown Pomona. We also host humanity groups that meet all throughout the city and online to continue the conversation and support you in your ongoing spiritual journey. Find one near you by visiting humanitychurch.com. If you would like to financially support this podcast or the ongoing work at Humanity Church, you can text any donation amount to 84321 and give directly from your phone. Now, here's this week's podcast. We we launched a conversation last week that we're calling Love Thy, and we're going to be looking at what the scriptures say about how we are to love and who we are to love in some way, shape, or form. Now, here's the thing. I actually think that most people know that we should love one another. Like, if you just ask someone, should you love one another, they'd probably say yes. Even, uh, like, Horrible people would probably say that. Like, that, that, like I at least should love my neighbor. Even I should love my enemy. There's, there's all of that in there. But should in life is not a great motivator for any type of behavior. In fact, when you, when you live in a pile of should, it just gets messy. All right? And we find ourselves there all the time. And who wants to be loved by someone because they're supposed to love you? Right? I mean, how, how awesome does it feel to be in a relationship with someone when asked, hey, why do, you, why do you love me? They say, because I should love you. Right? <laughs> or, or it's the right thing to do. No one likes that. Right? Likewise, it's not a great motivator for us to be in a relationship with other people when asked, hey, do you love them? We say, well, yeah, I'm supposed to love them. It doesn't create a great context for love. So we're going to be actually looking at the why behind why we are to love our neighbor, why we are to love our enemy, why we are to love even the unlovable in life. Why are we to love the orphan and the widow? Why are we to love the, the marginalized and the oppressed? What does that look like in the scriptures? And so I want to go to a passage that probably so many of you have heard here at Humanity Church before, or even if you haven't, you've probably heard before in some contexts. And so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 34. This is a moment where Jesus is being confronted by the religious, which often happened because Jesus wasn't very religious, and he was constantly upsetting the cultural norms of his day. And in Matthew twenty-two thirty-four, 34, it says this, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, which were kind of like the religious judges, the, the, the ones who enforced all the rules that everyone was supposed to follow, the Pharisees got together, who were essentially the religious teachers. And one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole morning talking to you about this passage because you've probably heard this passage before. You've heard everything that you need to know probably about this passage. If you've been around Humanity Church at all, you know that we bring this up quite a bit. But in this conversation when Jesus is asked, what is the greatest command that we can give our lives to? In other words, if I, if I could just needed to follow one, what would it be? Because how many of you get lost in all the things that you're supposed to do in life? Yes? This is actually a really smart question. Like, what's the greatest one? Like, if I'm just going to keep one, what should I keep? I, I used to ask this to my fitness trainers. I just been like, if, I'm, if, if you want me to do one thing, what is it? Is it eat right or work out? Because I'm only doing one, right? So just let me know. 
And so he asks them, what is the greatest thing? And Jesus can't help himself but give two. <laughs> Not because he can't choose between the two, but because they're tied together. You cannot separate them from one another. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and all your strength, and love your neighbor as, you sell, as yourself. They're, they're tied together. How you love your neighbor is how you love God. And so I want to focus on the second part of this conversation, loving your neighbor as you love yourself. And we're going to take a look at today about why loving our neighbor is actually so critical. See, so oftentimes we read this command through pop psychology or what I call meme theory which are like nice posts that we see on social media, good memes that make us feel good and have nice uh, intentions behind them but are absolutely false. And they, they, they sound enough like scripture to feel like they're legit, but uh, they actually can lead to some really dangerous places. And usually when people talk about this particular passage, love your neighbor as yourself, the, the pop psychology, the meme theory goes like this, that you need to spend some time loving yourself and then... Once you've figured out how to love yourself, then take that love and go love your neighbor in some way, shape, or form. So our job then is to go figure out how we love ourselves really well. So, you know, I need to go make sure that I have a nice long bubble bath every week. I need some good froyo. I need to get my nails did and my hair done. I need to go and have some yoga time to meditate, do my affirmations. And then once I have reached the nirvana of loving myself, then with that same love, I go and give it away to someone else. Then I can go love my neighbor. See, there's, there's several problems with this meme theory, with this pop psychology way of engaging this conversation around loving your neighbor as yourself. See, the problem is that my capacity to love my neighbor is always dependent on my willingness to love myself in some way, shape, or form. So I'm always, always the victim to my self-love if I'm willing to love my neighbor in some way, shape, or form over here. And actually, how do we quantify self-love? I mean, is it based on bubble baths that we took that week? Is it based on how much ice cream we had? Is it based on how often we took ourselves on Starbucks dates? What is it, right? How do you actually quantify when you've loved yourself fully in the middle of this? I mean, if you've reached 35% self-love, then can you love your neighbor with 35%? Or does it have to get to 100 and then you can love 100? How do you actually quantify if you're loving yourself? There really isn't a stat available to this. So, so if this is the case, there's a lot of ambiguity as to how we are to love ourselves and then at what percentage, once we've arrived, can we give away to our neighbor. Here's the other thing about this. You would think that if Jesus was saying that we are to love our neighbor as we love ourselves and it's reliant on us loving ourselves, that Jesus would say something about how we're to love ourselves in the scriptures. But there's nothing there's not a single passage in the scripture teaching us how to love ourselves. So if this loving our neighbor is dependent on loving ourselves, Jesus is like a horrible cult leader here because he's basically saying this is the most important thing that you can do and I'm not going to let you in on the secret as to how to do it, right? So we find ourselves stuck in the middle of this. How am I supposed to love myself? Silence. Okay, what now, right? Well, what if Jesus was actually up to something very different in this conversation? And he was actually teaching us how we are to love our neighbor. See, Jesus, what if he was actually not saying, hey, get to love yourself really well, and then you can love your neighbor. What if he was actually saying, you actually already love yourself quite a bit. You're actually enamored with yourself. 
And if you actually took like a fraction of that self-love and just gave it away in some way, shape, or form, then maybe the world around you would be transformed in some way, shape, or form here. See, and what he was actually saying, I'm going to invite you just into this perspective this morning, is that Jesus is saying, hey, love your neighbor in the exact same way that you are already loving yourself. Love your neighbor in the exact same way that you were already loving yourself. So rather than have a conversation this morning around why you need to love your neighbor, I'm going to actually have a conversation this morning about all the ways that you love yourself. Of all the ways that we show ourselves self-love on a regular basis. Now for some of you, this conversation may be highly offensive already. Because you're like, you don't understand. I don't love myself. And there are areas where I'm frustrated, where I don't like about myself. I'm going to ask you to just hang in the conversation and find yourself releasing any tension, at least for 40 minutes or 30 minutes, however long I decide to go this morning. And then at the end of this, you can leave whatever you want here in this place. (laughs) See, how many of you notice that when someone else's faults or flaws show up and they start affecting your life, there tends to be very little grace for them. You know what I'm talking about? When someone's faults or flaws begin to show up, they start acting a fool, they start getting on your nerves, they're doing all the things that they shouldn't be doing in life. All of a sudden, there's very little grace for them in some way, shape, or form. And and when we start seeing their flaws, when we start seeing their faults, we start developing a story as to why those flaws and faults are there. And it's usually because this person has really bad intentions. This is a bad person over here. And that's why they're doing whatever they're doing. That's why these flaws, that's why these faults are showing up in life for them. And then it turns into, well, this is just who they are. Let's be honest. There's people in life that we have seen their flaws, we've seen their faults. And when we look at them, when we get the text message from them, when we scroll through their Instagram posts, we're like, told you. Right? There they go again. They're just that type of person. In fact, this last week I was picking up Jackson from school, and on Monday he got in the car and he said, Dad, I made friends with the mean girl. And at first I thought, oh, that's heroic of you, you know? (laughs) And I was like, that's great, bud. And he's like, yeah, I made friends with her, and we're friends now. So I said, great, bud. That's the, you know, we want to make friends with people who are mean to us. And I talked to him about loving your enemies, doing good to those who hate you, blessing those who curse you, praying for those who mistreat you. And, and the next day he gets in the car and he said, Dad, I'm still friends with the mean girl. And I'm like, awesome, bud. Let's keep it up. You know, let's keep going. Wednesday comes around. Dad, I'm still friends with the mean girl. Thursday comes around. Dad, I'm still friends with the mean girl. Friday comes around. And Dad, I'm still friends with the mean girl. Now, at this point, I pause because I say, Well, tell me about why she's the mean girl. First of all, does this mean girl have a name? And he said, yes, she has a name. And for podcast purposes, I will not share her name. (laughs) But he gives me her name. And I said, well, tell me, did she do something mean to you today? Well, no, because we're friends. And I said, well, that's interesting. Did did she do something mean to you yesterday? No, because we made friends on Monday, Dad. Now we're friends, right? And I said, but you still refer to her as the mean girl. And he goes, oh, yeah, I should probably just call her by her name now. (laughs) And I realized that what my five-year-old son does, we just do in a very sophisticated manner as adults, (laughs) right? How many of you have some people in your life that you just identify, that's the mean girl, that's the crazy guy, (laughs) 
that's the person who's toxic over there. I mean, we just immediately start labeling people based on the faults that show up for them. And in, in, in our conversation about them, it usually makes them the villain in some way, shape, or form in the story that we have. And then we heap on shame about who they are and who they, like, what they're capable of and how we're going to relate to them. And oftentimes then, because we've seen their faults, we've judged it, we've told them this is who you are, we separate ourselves from them, and now the relationship is broken in some way, shape, or form. There's people that we've just decided, I, I refuse to give you my love over there. Now, on the contrary, how many of you notice that when our faults show up, when our flaws show up, we have another story about why we do what we do? How many of you notice that there tends to be more grace for us when our faults and our flaws tend to show up in relationship to one another? And we usually have a really good reason for why we do what we do. Well, you know, you don't understand. I was so tired that day. I was, I'd gotten off of work and I was busy and I was stressed. So yeah, I, I mouthed off to my kids just a little bit, right? Or man, that, that was, I, I was just dealing with so much over here. And so, I, you know, when I came home and I was disconnected and really didn't want to engage, there's a good reason for that. I didn't keep my promise because there's a, a really, really good excuse. Let me tell you the excuse as to why I didn't. Generally, our internal conversation about ourselves when our faults and flaws show up is not, man, I am the horrible person over here. There's usually a story about why we do what we do. We all have a reason for our faults. And here's how I know this is because none of you in this room are crazy. You may think you're crazy, but I'm just going to hear, I'm going to give you some good news this morning. You're not. <laughs> because everything we do, we have a good reason for it or else you wouldn't do it. We have a good excuse for every single behavior flaw that we engage in in life. And when we find ourselves engaging our faults and flaws, this is not who we are. This is just a momentary blip in our character. This is a momentary oops. This is a momentary, ah, that happened again. I'm going to fix that next time. And then we either expect forgiveness or at worst we demand forgiveness and grace from other people that they should know why we are the way we are and why we do the things that we do in life. In fact, there's so much grace for ourselves that we don't have to confess if we don't want to. There's so much grace that when our flaws and our faults show up that we don't have to confess to a humanity group or to a friend or to someone who we're in relationship with. It's kind of like an option among many options because we don't want to heap on any condemnation, right? Because there's grace that covers our brokenness, our sin over here. And we find ourselves wondering, well, you know, this may be affecting the other person, but I'm not really interested in getting any feedback as to whether or not it is showing up for them. And so we let ourselves off the hook in so many ways in this space. Now, now, some of you may be thinking I'm exactly the opposite, Nathan. You don't understand. When I have a fault, I heap shame on myself. I am the bad person. I am the villain. It's interesting in those moments because who is all the focus on? Me, right? And if I'm the villain and I'm the horrible one, that means that I don't have to go and repair because I get to shame myself over here. I get to punish myself. I get to discipline myself over here because I'm such the horrible person. And it actually allows you to avoid even dealing with it because you're the bad guy now. And in this way, we make sure that our sins are covered. We make sure that our faults are hidden. We make sure that our flaws are not seen by other people. And if they are seen, we make sure that they are covered in some way, shape, or form. And in this way, 
we love ourselves so very much. See, what would happen if when we see the darkness and the faults in others, we covered them in the same way that we covered our own? That we cover their flaws and faults in the same way that we give ourselves grace and the way that we give ourselves covering and the way we give ourselves a pass in the middle of that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, it talks about deeply loving one another. And this is what it says deeply loving another person does. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, we're not talking about Jesus here. Jesus' love certainly covers a multitude of sins, but they're talking about the love that we have for one another. And he's saying, our love covers a multitude of sins. So there is this connection between my willingness to love another person and to cover their sin. Now, this doesn't mean cover up their sin. There's a difference between the two. This doesn't mean to dismiss. It doesn't mean to overlook. It doesn't mean to downplay it in any way, shape, or form. Covering is different from dismissing. Many of you heard this story about Noah. Yes, he had an ark, right? He had these two animals, two by two, that got on the ark, and he saved all of humanity because of this. Even if you're not growing up in the faith, you've heard of Noah and the ark. You probably haven't heard of the post story of Noah. So Noah, he's on this ark for 40 days and 40 nights and all these things, and then the water's out there, and he, it dries up, and he finally gets on dry land. And he does probably what most of us would do once we've been on a boat with our in-laws and a bunch of animals for about 120 days. He goes, grabs a bottle, and gets wasted. Probably didn't hear that story in Sunday school growing up, right? <laughs> and so here's Noah, naked, and drunk. We didn't know, you'd also know that he's also a streaker, right? So when he got drunk, he took off all his clothes and ran. So here's Noah, naked in a cave somewhere, completely wasted, passed out, and his sons come and find him. And in that minute, his son has two choices. To shame his dad for how horrible of a drunk he is, and how horrible of a man he is for having having God saved him from everything, and now he finds himself intoxicated, inebriated, naked in this cave. He could have immediately shamed him for what he did, the choices that he's done, his life status, all of these things. But instead, it says that his son comes over to him and covers him, actually takes his clothing and puts it back on him and says, I'm going to make sure that your nakedness is not seen by anyone, and I'm going to make sure that this drunken escapade that you've been on doesn't affect how other people see you in this moment. Love covers sin in this moment. See, when love covers a multitude of sin, what it is saying is I am not going to allow this sin, this darkness, this flaw inside of you to take you out. I, allow, I refuse to allow room for shame to come into your life. I'm going to cover you in such a way that I'm going to love you through your worst character moments. Those moments where flaws and faults show up at their biggest and they affect me. I refuse to let your worst moment define who you are in any way, shape, or form. Here's the thing. We already do this with ourselves. What Jesus is saying is if you would do that with other people, it would totally transform how humanity relates to one another. So when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, part of the thing that he's saying is, would you cover your neighbor in their darkest moments as you cover yourself? If you showed them the same grace that you showed yourself, things might transform. 
And then verse, Peter goes on to say this, offer hospitality, in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. How many of you notice that you generally don't have a problem getting your own needs met? Anyone find that? I'm actually amazed at how creative human beings are. Like, I actually love working with addicts, and I, I love learning leadership skills from addicts because it's amazing how when I work with addicts, they can be completely broke and somehow find a way to buy heroin. I'm like, that's a skill right there, right? I'm like, man, you are an entrepreneur. <laughs> I'm like, that's actually like a really incredible skill that when you have no money, somehow you find a way to have your needs met. When you have no resources, somehow you find a way to have your needs met. I'm always amazed the people that I talk to that are completely broke and convince me that they're completely broke. And then when we sit down and look at their budget, somehow they found money for door dashing. It's amazing, right? Like, I can't afford to give of my money to the church in any way, shape, or form, but I can afford the $40 value meal that gets delivered to my door on a Thursday night. It's amazing how we find ways to get our needs met. I'm always amazed when people say, I don't have any time. And I say, have you watched that latest episode? Yeah, I watched all three. You have time, right? Because even in the middle of our scarcity, we find ways to have our needs met in some way, shape, or form. We are incredibly creative at making sure that I get mine. That I get my food, that I get my recognition, that I get a break that I get all of the little excuses, that I get my reasoning, that I get my comforts, that I get the soothing, that I get the craving, that I get the addiction met, whatever it may be. We are generous with our excuses, are we not? We are generous with our reasoning and stories about why we are the way we are and who we are. We are incredibly generous in serving of ourselves. Even if it evolve, involves manipulating others, we will get our needs met in some way, shape, or form. Now, some of you may be saying, that's not me. I just give, 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 give. And then when it hurts, I give some more. <laughs> Come on, there's some of you in the room that are like, no, 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 you don't understand. No one serves me. I just give, and I give, and I give, and I give. And then when it hurts, I just give a little more. But how many of you in that space find yourself eventually resentful that you were giving? How many of you find yourself in a space where you are resentful that you were generous in some way, shape, or form, and now no one is giving back to you in those moments? See, when you find yourself doing something that you call giving, and then you find yourself resentful for that giving or resentful that no one is giving back to you, it may not be giving. What we call that is emotional extortion, which is basically... I'm going to do this for you so I can get some type of good feeling from this. And when I don't get the good feeling from this, now I'm mad at you. And when I don't get the recognition back or when I don't get the service back in some way, shape, or form, I get resentful. So if your perspective is that you give so much and you never receive from anyone else, you may want to reconsider what you're doing and whether it's actually giving. See, because giving always leads us satisfied. It always leads us full. It always leaves us with a space feeling like we have received just as much as we have poured out. That's from the scriptures, not from me. And so even when we say I'm giving so much and I'm resentful for my giving, it may not actually be giving. It's a way to serve your own ego, to serve your own needs in the middle of this. 
See, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as you love yourself, what he's saying is how, you know how you make sure that your needs are met? You know how you make sure that you get yours? You know how you make sure you get the break, you get the excuse, you get the thing, you get the comfort, you get the food, you get that thing when you want it, even if you don't have the money for it? How about you cover someone else in the same way that you've done that with yourself? That if you would be generous with others in the way that you're already being generous with yourself, love might explode around you. And then First Peter goes on to say about how we engage ourselves. He says, if anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do, the, do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. See, he says that we are to speak to one another with the words of God. And here's what I know about when we speak to one another with the words of God. We talked about this last night in our Freedom Weekend, is that every time God speaks, he speaks for the purpose of encouraging us, of strengthening us and comforting us. That God will never ever speak to you outside of those categories. He is always in the business of strengthening, encouraging, comforting us, building us up. Now, you may be thinking to yourself in this conversation, like I know where you're going to go, Nathan, talk to others as you talk to yourself, right? I get the whole stick that you're doing right now. But how many of you would say that your negative self-talk is not exactly encouraging, comforting, or strengthening. How many of you are like, I would never actually speak to another human being the way that I speak to myself? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you notice that the way that you talk to yourself, you would, you would not wish those words on your worst enemy in some way, shape, or form? And you may notice that the way that you talk to yourself is, is, is really demeaning. Now, we find ourselves saying things like, I'm just not good enough, or I'm unworthy, or I'm so stupid, or I'm the one who never gets it right, or I'm the one who's destined to fail, or I'm the one who's destined for mediocrity, or I'm the one who's forgotten, or I'm the one who's overlooked, or I'm the one who's different, or I'm the one who's broken, whatever it may be. We find ourselves in all of these conversations that we would never want to give away to someone in the same way that we are giving to ourselves. But I'm going to actually ask you to consider that what if all this negative self-talk was actually one of the biggest ways that we love ourselves? It may seem confusing, right? You're like, this doesn't feel like love. This doesn't feel like affirmations in the morning when I tell myself, look, you're the one who always fails. How on earth could this be self-love? But have you noticed that in your conversation about yourself, the way that you talk to yourself, it oftentimes goes like this, I'm such a failure, therefore I don't have to do fill in the blank. I'm such a failure, so you know what? I don't have to go give myself because I'm just going to fail. I'm the one who's always overlooked, so when it comes time to serve community, I, I don't really need to serve because I'm already overlooked. I'm not chosen, and so when it goes time to live out your mission, I don't really have anything available to me. There's no resources here because I'm not chosen. Therefore, I don't have to. And then there's the flip side of this where the conversation in our head about ourselves sounds something like this. I am not enough. Therefore, I get to go use. I, I am so broken and my life is such a mess that I don't actually have to figure out my finances. I can just let them run me. 
That, that I am such a failure in life and I've screwed up so many times. This is the way it always is. This is my lot in life. This is just who I am and how I'm moving forward. We find ourselves there. Because of that, I get to have license to not show up for my kids, to not show up for my friends, to give myself a little pass with the people that I say I love. It gives us an out in the middle of this. So notice how our self-talk either says, hey, you get a free pass from doing this, or I get a free pass to do this in some way, shape, or form. And all of this self-talk that we find ourselves in is designed to keep you comfortable. It's designed to keep you on the spiritual sofa, not having to get up, not having to give your life to anything, not having to passionately pursue the purpose that you were made for in life. See, because if you are actually willing to see yourself as God sees you, as an overcomer, as powerful, as chosen, as forgiven, as resourced, as redeemed, as paid for, sitting on the sofa on the sidelines and all of this negative self-talk would not be an option anymore. In fact, it would call you to your feet to move in some way, shape, or form, to do something, to engage, to not waste the breath that is inside of you in any given moment with this. It would remove every excuse that you have for not fully giving yourself to the life that you were designed to live. It would instantly remove all of that. But the self-talk keeps us on the sofa I don't really have to lift the finger. I don't really have to do this. In fact, I get free passes from all the little things that I, I do for myself. In fact, people need to comfort me because I'm such a fill in the blank. Do you also notice the, the arrogance in the conversation? Because look, I think we're comfortable telling ourselves some of these things with the conversations that we have about ourselves. We're comfortable telling ourselves that. I'm such a failure. I don't really have what I need in life. I'm not chosen. But what you have to recognize is as you're simultaneously saying that to yourself, you are simultaneously saying that to God. God, you're such a failure. You failed in creating me. And you're not there for me. You, you refuse to choose me. You refuse to resource me. You refuse to give me what I need to step into this life. Why have you created me in such a way that, that, that leads my life to emptiness? Do you see the arrogance in the statement now? See, see not only does it allow us to stay comfortable but it allows us to remain in control with our lives about who God is, about who we are in this space with one another. And in this way, we maximize our comfort and we maximize our control. And meanwhile, the world around us suffers for it. See, what would happen if we actually started comforting others in the same way that our life was set up to comfort ourselves? What if we actually set people free from the need to control their lives in the same way that we feel the need to control ours. Because you know what I've found, and I don't know if you found this to be true, but the world around us is suffering. And there's plenty of suffering to go around in some way, shape, or form. And rather than, than focusing on making life more comfortable for us, 
of staying in control for us, of what do I need to do to give myself an excuse to kick back and to not step into the life that I'm called to live? What if we got off of our arrogant rants about how broken we are and how bad we are and how, how we are not resourced and how we're not chosen and let me tell you my life story about why I can't do fill in the blank and we just gave away a fraction of the comfort that we were giving ourselves in the moment. That if we just took us just an ounce of the comfort that we are constantly longing for and creating in our own lives and just said, hold on, I'm getting off the sofa and I'm willing to comfort others in the way that I'm comforting myself, everything would be different. That we might start encouraging the world around us in a new way. Look, here's the thing. You don't need any more self-love. You've been loving yourself quite a bit. For some of you, you may be noticing in this conversation with you that, man, I have found myself covering my own sins, and I have found myself covering my own shame, and I found myself covering my own faults and flaws, but I don't cover others in the same way that I cover myself. That there's not the same grace that others get that I give myself. And so today when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, what he's calling you into is to start covering those people in your life that you've already deemed as the mean girls and the bad guys. For some of you, you may notice that you have been serving yourself really well. That you've been getting your needs met. That you've been making sure that you have everything that you desire in this life. And even if you don't have it now, all of your energy is going into pursuing that. And Jesus is like, man, if you would just take a beat and give away that level of commitment to serving yourself, the world would change around you. That if you started serving others in the way that you served yourself, everything would change. Some of you may be noticing, wow, I have been speaking to myself in ways that are designed to comfort me and to keep me on the proverbial spiritual sofa over here. And it's time to get up and start comforting others in the way that I've been kicking back and comforting myself. And Jesus is saying today, look, it's not that you need to love yourself more. You just get to recognize that you have been loved by the Father and that he has poured out into you so much love. When Jesus says love your neighbor as you love yourself, he's not saying muster up all the self-love that you can find and then go out and give it. We already do that. What he's saying is, look, if you would actually just turn outward and take all the strength that I've given you and all the love that I've provided you and all the resources that I've put in your path, that you would change the world around you with your love because when we recognize that the love God has given us is on loan to give away and that there's more available, it changes how we see everything. But it starts by giving away all this energy that's been redirected towards ourselves that was never meant to be redirected towards you. It was meant to be given away. Your life was meant to be poured out into your neighbors around you. See, I am actually convinced that one of the reasons our society is so filled with anxiety and depression and confusion is because there's so much love over here that is bottled up that we are spending so much of our time and our energy and our resources meeting our needs and covering our sin and making sure that we're comfortable and making sure that we stay in control in some way, shape, or form. And all that energy was not designed to be bottled up. We're like bottles with corks on it just waiting to explode. And then there's 
shouldn't be a shock that there's an anxiety epidemic, there's a depression epidemic, because when you were designed to give your life away and you don't, there's such a backlog that it creates a sense of fear and anxiety and hopelessness and confusion. And today, Jesus is inviting us to give away that love in the same way we give it to us, that it was a beautiful gift made to be given away. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and you have all your strength. And then love your neighbor as you already have been loving yourself. Here's the beautiful thing about this conversation. You already have everything you need. And you've been exercising it pretty strongly. So just take that same energy and take those same resources and start giving it away in some way, shape, or form. Let's pray this morning. Jesus, I thank you for your love for us and how you sacrificed so big and how you, ex you showed us what it looked like to be selfless in our love. God, forgive us of the places where we have covered our own sin and not covered the sins of others. Forgive us for those places where we have served ourselves and been unwilling to serve others. Forgive us of those places where we have comforted ourselves and been unwilling to comfort others, God. May we heed this call today that says, love our neighbor as we are already loving ourselves. And this morning, if you're here and you have not yet connected to Jesus. I love how Peter says you are to do this in his strength. This is not like mustering up love. This is as you connect to the love of the Father, you have all the love you need to move forward. So if you're here this morning and you've not yet connected to Jesus, or maybe you've been disconnected for a long time from him, maybe you're online and you're watching, and maybe you just tuned into YouTube this morning or by chance, and now you're thinking, man, I, I need to connect to this Jesus who's calling me into this radical way of living. If that's you this morning, I just want you to pray this prayer with me. It's a prayer of just saying, I'm willing to give my life to him so that I could be filled with this love. Just pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that you died for me and you came back to life so that I could live. And so I make you Lord and I give you everything. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Just one thing before we, before we continue. If you say that, pray that prayer, I want you to just click online today, I decided to follow Jesus or go back to next step. But each week I wanna give you a very practical step to loving whoever it is. So this week is loving your neighbor, all right? I'm gonna just take a poll, take a poll in this room right here, all right? How many of you have had your physical neighbor over to dinner in the last two years? Raise your hand, nice and high. All right, so about 10% in the room, all right? So here's your job this week. Go knock on your neighbor's door. I know that. That's crazy talk, right? That's like insane. What on earth are you talking about, right? So here's the thing. We're going we're gonna to take some baby steps, all right? So baby steps, and I'm going to give you some mild and some spicy options here, all right? Mild option, mild option. You just go put a note in their mail just saying, hey, Thank you for being my neighbor. Here's who I am. If you need anything, let me know, all right? Our boys have started doing this with everyone in the neighborhood all week long, and we're getting like presents and gifts and all kinds of stuff. It's crazy. You might get some cool stuff. But anyways, 
If you're like, I've never even talked to these people and I sleep 300 feet away from them for the last 10 years, uh, put a note in their mailbox, all right? Mild, just do that. Spicy option, all right? You ready? This, this, I know this is going to be mind-blowing, crazy, insane talk, all right? Go knock on the door, say, hi, I sleep 300 feet away from you every night. <laughs> don't, don't say that, you'll sound like a stalker. Uh, but, but hey, you might just say something like, hey, I'd love to grab dinner sometime. Or I'd love to have you over for coffee, or I'd love to just connect you sometime. I see you when you go to work and whatnot. Look, when Jesus says love your neighbor, let's just take it really literally. Let's love our neighbors. And so let's start there. If, you've never, if you don't know who your neighbor is, no shame, you get to know this week, all right? There's two of them, pick one. If one's grumpy and one's happy, pick the happy one, all right? <laughs> Whatever you want to do, right? But let's actually be those who put this into practice. Let's not walk away from what we just heard and go, oh, yeah, that's a nice theory. So this week, let's actually love our neighbors, all right? Go put a note in their mailbox, knock on the door, have them over dinner, and let's do that. Thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope that it was a meaningful experience and look forward to having you listen in next week for another conversation from the heart and soul of Humanity Church. You can find more information about our community at www.humanitychurch.com.